Well, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, as she said, I grew up here, um, moved away for medical school and residency and everything, but moved back here after we got married, my wife Megan, and now we have two girls who are here and have been through the preschool here and are upstairs currently. So um, I appreciate you guys giving me some time to, to talk. I think you said I had about four hours, right? So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see break if we it can. about four this yeah, afternoon yeah. and come back if we need to. So, yeah. So, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she asked me if I could kind of share my experiences. I work at Summit uh, Medical Center in the emergency department, which is out in Hermitage, uh, east of the city. And I have been there since 2013. Um, so it's been, I've been there for quite some time, but it's definitely been kind of interesting the past couple of years, um, kind of the, the experience of, of COVID. Um, I realize that over the past couple of years, COVID has become a little bit of a controversial topic and maybe somewhat polarizing or political even. Um, so I ask for your grace. If I say anything that you don't agree with or whatever, this is my experience with it and this is kind of what, how I've seen it and how I've dealt with it. Um, so I'm not going to try and say anything, take any stance one way or the other, but uh, anyway. So <clears throat> I th when I think back to kind of how all of this started, it was kind of end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And I remember there kind of being some um, kind of whispers of it in the news, something going on in China, all that sort of stuff. And kind of already before it even had ever made it to the United States, already a little bit of that anxiety of like, what was this? What was going to happen with all of this? Um, and by that February or March, we actually had a spring break trip that we were supposed to be going on. Um, we were going to go out to Colorado and take our girls skiing for the first time. And so that was about the time that it was really starting to kind of make its way to the, to the states. And so we were kind of kept going back and forth about, is this ski trip something we need to even do? Is traveling something we should even be doing right now? And we kept talking about it and kept going back and forth. And finally, we were like, you know skiing is about the most socially distant kind of isolating kind of sport that you can do. So we were like, let's go on. This may be, who knows what's going to happen. This may be the last trip we take for a while. Um, and so we went on, went out to Colorado, got there, got all of our stuff, got everybody settled in, put our girls to bed. So, and I'll back up. I've got a 10-year-old and 7-year-old um, who, I guess, so at that time they were eight and six, is that right? Um, put them to bed. We're kind of settling in. Literally that night after they're in bed, the governor of Colorado closes all the ski resorts in the entire state. And so like, we're just like, well, what do we do? So they wake up the next morning excited to go skiing for the day and we have to break the news to them that that's not going to happen. And so that was kind of that first thing of, oh, this is, this is potentially something serious. Um, and then trying to travel back home, and again, there just kind of was this low level of anxiety at that point of kind of the, the unknown of what, what could be coming. So we made it back home, um, kind of cut our trip short because there was nothing else to do at that point. And I remember thinking, because we already had a couple other trips planned maybe for that summer, and naively in my head, I remember thinking like, well, this really stinks that this ski trip got canceled, but 
at least we're getting this out of the way. So by this summer, we can take our trips that we were planning on. So obviously, little did we know at that point. So <clears throat> I still had a few days at home because I'd blocked off some time from work to do this trip. So we kind of hang out at home. And that's when the whole crisis of can't find toilet paper, can't find groceries, all that. And so we're, even as a family already at that point, kind of trying to think about, you know, how is this affecting things? Um, and then kind of from there, went back to work. Um, and again, at that point, still wasn't really prevalent here, but it was obviously something that we were thinking about. And I am not a... I'm not a super anxious person. I try to kind of take things in stride. My mom may say I was different than that as a child, but as I've grown, I think I've kind of grown out of some of that. Um, but again, this just felt different. And I remember somebody asking me like early on with all of this, like before it had even kind of really made it, they were like, what do you, what do you think is gonna happen? And I remember thinking like, I was like, this is a virus, like viruses what they are supposed to do is repu replicate and spread. And I was like, I think it's inevitable that this is gonna hit us at this point. Um, and so like we went back to work, this happened to be, I mean, again, it was kind of into March, so it was right after the tornado tornadoes had gone through um, and Summit, right outside of Summit, got hit pretty hard by some of those tornadoes that, that kind of went through there. So we were already kind of reeling from some of that and caring for some of those patients. Um, and then this kind of came right on the tail end of that. And I remember the one, one of the first patients that came in to Summit, um, I was not taking care of them. It was one of my partners, but I was on shift that day. And I just remember like everybody kind of stopped because he had the patient's chest x-ray pulled up on a computer and we were all looking at it and it looked I mean, it looked like something I'd never really seen before. I mean, it was just tons of infection kind of all throughout their chest. And so again, it kind of was just this like low level of anxiety of what is this, what's this gonna be? What's this gonna be? What's it gonna look like? Uh, as luck or happenstance would have it, some of the first patients that we got were like fairly young people, kind of 30s, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and they seemed really sick. And so again, I just remember thinking like, what is this gonna be? What's this gonna look like? Um, and I knew at that point, like this is, again, it's, it was a coronavirus and coronaviruses, I don't know, everybody knows this at this point, but it's the same thing that causes the common cold. And there's a bunch of different coronaviruses out there. And for the vast majority of them, again, it causes a cold or something, but everybody does fine. But again, there was something that was different about this one but part of, the, part of the apprehension kind of in the medical world was like, we don't know how to treat this. We don't know what we're doing. We don't, um, again, yeah, we don't really know besides like prescribing people cough medicine. It's not like we typically try and actively treat a cold. Um, and so that became the thing also of like, what do we do? And so immediately there was different, different people suggesting different things saying, some people said you should give steroids for this. Some people said you shouldn't. Some people said, you know, you give this or that. And, and so that was part of it is like we were kind of learning on the fly as we were going through this. Um, and I kind of thought at, at one point, I thought, you know, this is kind of science happening in real time. 
You know, we always taught in my like college science classes. You know, you you create a hypothesis and then you you test it to find evidence to either support or refute what you're doing. And we take for granted so many times that science has everything spelled out and that we know what the right answer is and we know what medicines treat what diseases. And this again was kind of something that was brand new that we were trying to figure out kind of on the fly. Um, and we, at that point, we didn't have a great treatment and we didn't have a vaccine and we didn't have, kind of really know what to do. And so there was a lot of fear and apprehension around even like my going to work every day and what's this gonna do? What am I gonna bring home to my family? What am I gonna bring home, you know, or what might happen if I get sick, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so then even for a while, like really changed our routine at home around my work. I knew people who, I knew people who were getting hotels and living in hotels away from their family. Or I read a story on Facebook about this guy who literally moved into his kid's treehouse and like ran power out there, which looking back like seems absurd. But it, again, at that time, like we didn't really know. And so I kind of started, you know, like we've got a, a finished basement with a bathroom down there that rarely ever gets used. And so I would come home and I would immediately go down to that bathroom and kind of made it my COVID bathroom, you know, and I would immediately shower and change clothes and kind of do anything I could to protect our family and, um, and all that. And then obviously very quickly started wearing all the protective gear at the hospital, the N95s and all the, the gowns and all that, again, just to, to, to make it through the day and, and not bring something home to my family or something that would get myself sick. Um, and so that kind of became the new normal for a while. Um, it became, you know, after, again, living with it for a little while, that low-level anxiety starts to wear off just become, because it, you become a little bit more accustomed to it. And again, it becomes kind of the new normal. And I'm realizing, you know, I'm doing this and things seem to be doing okay. We start to learn a little bit more. Um, but this was, I guess, that, that summer of 2020 to early fall. And again, life was kind of starting to fall into a pattern. It was different. Um, but I still had to go to work and I still had patients to take care of. And so for a lot of people who were able to then work from home, obviously in the emergency department, I couldn't do that. So I kind of just had to come to the decision that I've got to go to work and I've got to do what I can to protect myself and protect my family. Um, but this was kind of the new normal. And so we would go through phases where cases, case numbers would go up or they would go down. And um, we started to learn a little bit more about what treatments were more beneficial and what didn't work. And, you know, again, all the stuff in the news about touting different things about uh, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and all these more controversial things and again people are trying to run studies to see does this really work or does it not um, and again kind of that science in real time of we don't know until we really start running some trials and checking some stuff but it's like we don't have time to do that we need a treatment right now um, and so I kind of just came into the realization that like until we have a vaccine this is the new normal for a while, that we're gonna be treating people and we're gonna be doing the best we, ha we can with what we have. Fortunately, Summit never became so overrun with patients that we were 
having to ration care and some of that stuff that you hear about in New York or I think New Orleans had some issues like that. And fortunately, it never got to that point here, but I know for a while our ICU was totally full of patients that were nothing but COVID. Um, and we did shut down elective surgeries and elective procedures and all of that. So, I mean, it really became a thing of unless you were really sick with COVID or something else, people were staying home. And, and I saw that as well. That was hard to kind of manage. I remember I had a patient that came in one day with a ruptured appendicitis because he had sat at home because he did not want to come to the hospital. He was scared of what might happen. And he was a young guy and he was really sick. And I was like, had you come in 72 hours ago, this would have been nothing. We could have taken out your appendix and it wouldn't have been a big deal. But now it's ruptured and it's infected and you've just sat at home and let this kind of fester. Um, so along that time, then I'm getting more texts and phone calls from friends and family as well, kind of also asking for advice about what do we do just living life, sending kids to school or I guess at that point kids maybe still weren't in school. But um just how to try and have some semblance of a normal life. Um, around that time, I also got asked to be on the board for the kindergarten, um, along with Pat. Um, so, along and then Matt Miller, who's another physician here. So, he and I kind of were trying to come up with different ideas and protocols and different things to do. Again, to let the kids go back to school here. Um, and again, some of it was at that point kind of based on at least some idea of what seemed to be working. But again, some of it were, kind of felt like we were flying by the seat of our pants a little bit and making the best decisions with what we thought we, we had. Um, I was also kind of unofficially on, in on some meetings with Otter Creek and David Schaub and a few other people, again, kind of trying to make those same decisions about the church here and kind of figuring out what do we do? How can we get people back to church? And do we need to wear masks or not? And kind of how, how do we accommodate people and, and all that sort of stuff? Um, so that the rest of that year, I mean, I know it felt different for everybody. Um, but again, it just felt there was just a, a, a felt like an added layer of kind of pressure to, to work and everything else of, um, I don't know, the amount of time and focus spent on all of this. And there were some days that, I mean, Megan can vouch for me, there were some days that I was just like, I'm over this, I'm done. I just want to spend time with my kids, I want to spend time with my family, and just move on. And then I would kind of get slapped back to reality of like, you can't do that, you can't just give up. So that year kind of goes on. Um, by that fall of 2020, there start to be rumblings and talks of a vaccine coming out, and so... I got excited. I was like, okay, maybe this is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with all of this. Um, and it was by December of 2020 that I think like we actually, as physicians or, you know, uh, first responder type things, we were top of the list of people to get the vaccine. And so HCA had said, we're going to set up these clinics for you guys at their headquarters down off Charlotte. And you can come in December and we'll get you your vaccine and everything. And so, again, it was kind of just felt like a weight lifted that I've been doing all this for so long of wearing all the gear and wearing all the masks. And I was like, I know that's not going to come to an end, but at least this is some kind of added barrier of protection. 
and I had signed up for my first vaccine, and I think literally just a few weeks before, I got COVID. And it was just such a tick in the stomach. And I, I, I'm 99% certain I got it from a patient. I can still picture the patient that I got it from, if, assuming this is the one, but it was a patient that had come in for a totally separate complaint. Um, she was actually having a stroke. And I remember she didn't have a mask on. We were trying to do a bunch of stuff real quickly because it looked like she was having a stroke. And I still had all the stuff on, but I remember her coughing like right in my face. And I remember like even in the moment thinking, huh, that might not be good. <laughs> and, and then as we're working her up, and so like at that point, anybody that got admitted to the hospital, they wanted a COVID test on them, whether they were there for COVID or not, so that they could kind of cohort all the COVID patients together and so she tested positive, and I just remember thinking, well, shoot, that's, so, you know, but then a few days go on, and I'm feeling fine, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was good, and then I woke up one morning, it was an early on a Monday morning, and I woke up with a fever, and I was supposed to work at like two o'clock that day, and <clears throat> so I called my medical director, he was like, yeah, come in, get tested, so I drove to the hospital, got a test, and it came back positive. Um, so I went home, moved into our basement, and within hours, Megan is like hanging plastic <laughs> over the, we've got, so it's a stairway that goes down to the basement, but there's not a door or anything. So like I'm sitting down there and I hear her like taping up stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? So I was quarantined to our basement. Um, and she would bring a plate of food and slide it under the plastic and then... <laughs> so, yeah. Fortunately, I had a very mild case, had a fever for about 12 to maybe 24 hours, and then that was it. I was, I was tired, but I had a very mild case at that point. But even then, it became this thing of kind of these mental gymnastics of... I kept thinking, I'm young, I realize statistically I'm healthy, I'm going to be okay, but I'd also seen enough young, healthy people in the emergency department that didn't do so well. And I kept trying to convince myself, like, those people are the outliers. I realize I see them because I'm the one that's there taking care of them, but they're the outliers. But there was still something in my head of, but am I going to be one of these outliers? Um, and also knowing, like, for the people that got really sick, it was about six to seven days in before they really got sick. So I was at home, and I felt fine, and I was downstairs watching TV and kind of like a little COVID vacation almost. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, but what, what if? What's going to happen, you know, tomorrow or the next day or the next day? And so it became, again, those mental gymnastics of trying to convince myself I was going to be okay but also like continuing to think, but what if I'm not? And again, what does that mean for Megan? And what does that mean for my girls and people at work and all that sort of stuff? So um, fortunately that never came. I did okay and then by, let's see, that was Monday by Friday or Saturday of that week, I was, gonna, I was just gonna stay down in the basement for my full two-week quarantine or whatever at that point. And by the end of that week, Megan said, I'm not feeling so good. I've got a little bit of a fever or whatever. 
And so she went in, she got tested, she was positive as well. And almost, I think it was a little bit, from that standpoint, a little bit of a relief for her because she'd been dealing with the girls and taking care of everybody, doing everything all by herself, where I'm downstairs just hanging out. And I was, there was times I wished I could help, but because I felt fine, but once she knew she was positive as well, she was like, well, you're coming upstairs. <laughs> and, and I had been watching the, uh, uh, what was it called, The Last Dance, the Netflix series about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and I had one episode left. <laughs> and I remember thinking, and they're like hour, hour and a half long episodes, but I remember thinking like, oh man, can I finish this? And she was like, oh, you're coming upstairs. You're going to help with kids now. So when it was all said and done, all four of us got it before it was over with. Fortunately, all of us had very mild cases. I mean, the girls, I don't know that we would have ever even tested them had we not had it. I mean, they never had a fever or anything. It was just extremely mild. But we also knew they were out for Christmas break and we knew they hadn't been around anybody else than the two of us, so it was like, well, it's got to be that. So after that, though, it almost gave us a little bit of a sense of relief because then we knew we had some type of immunity for a while, and it kind of felt... So that was Christmas of 2020. So we were at home, kind of spent Christmas over Zoom, opening gifts with family and all that. But, but again, once we recovered, it was kind of like, well, at least we feel like we're in the clear for a while. Um, so then I did go on fairly shortly after I went ahead and got vaccinated, which I did it thinking this may be my only opportunity to get a vaccine. You know, at that point they were talking like they, we had a super short supply and if you don't get it now, you might not get it for months. And so uh, I was like, well, I might as well, I've recovered. I might as well go ahead and get it. Looking back, obviously that I probably could have waited, but I went ahead and got it. Again, felt like we were doing okay. Um, and then gradually, that kind of as the spring went on, vaccines started to become more available. Um, but around that time was kind of when I feel like a lot of the, the misinformation and different people's thoughts really started to spread. Um, and Facebook really had some interesting stuff around that time. So because of that, though, a lot fewer people got vaccinated than I really anticipated. I was talking, I remember talking at work with a, a colleague a couple times thinking like, you know, again, we've had this horrible, I guess at that point, you know, eight or nine months of, you know, a lot of stuff going on and people trying to stay at home and self-isolate and quarantine and all that. And I thought, we kind of all just thought this vaccine was going to be just accepted with open arms. And I'm not going to get into all the controversy around that, but it was obviously much less widely accepted or, um, yeah, than, than anticipated. So again, I could have, I guess I could have gotten the vaccine whenever I wanted to once it was all said and done. Um, and then that summer, so summer of, I guess last summer, summer of 2021, Numbers really started falling. Um, we went to West Virginia to visit my grandmother and some family. And I remember like that was, what, end of June, beginning of July, July. July. And really thinking like, 
feel like life is starting to get back to normal. We were kind of starting to go out again and not wear masks and going out to eat more places and, again, traveling and doing stuff. And, but I, at that point, I still was not convinced. I knew not enough people had had either had the vaccine or had been actually had the virus that I was like, this still, we're not out of the woods yet. This still has potential to have something else going on. Um, because I will say, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent for the vaccine. I think it's a great thing, but it is no better than natural immunity having had COVID. Like I'm not one of those that says, if you've had COVID, you need to get the vaccine as well. I mean, scientifically, like antibodies are antibodies. So if you've got it, and now there's still some question about how long they last for one versus the other, but it just takes that many people having it to, to knock the, the numbers down. Um, I do remember, you know, around that time, and I guess all throughout, some people talking about, well, let's just open things up and let, let it run wild and let everybody get it and burn through it and be done with it. Um, and kind of reaching that herd immunity that it, so many people were talking about. And I remember reading something at one point that said there has never been an illness or disease that has reached herd immunity within a community without a vaccine. And I remember kind of thinking that and was like, well, that, again, that, that doesn't sound great, you know, that, that that's, that's the case. Um, because by that point, people were really fighting against the vaccine or arguing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then again, numbers were kind of doing better, and I was like, well, maybe, maybe there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and we're, we're turning around a little bit. And then last August was when the Delta variant hit. And so life at work was just starting to feel like it was starting to return to normal. Our numbers, from the emergency department had really plummeted during the peak of some of this again because nobody wanted to come in and so numbers were just starting to pick up i felt like people were starting to come in for their non-emergent complaints that we always in the emergency department joke about you know if you come in for six months of back pain is that really an emergency but that's a another discussion for another day but i felt like once those patients started coming back in that was a sign that life was returning to normal maybe or whatever um, but then Delta hit, and that was, that was another kind of hit. I felt more protected because, again, I'd had COVID. I'd been vaccinated. Our family felt kind of protected. Um, but we started seeing some really sick people coming in again that at a level that I hadn't seen for close to a year probably. And I started taking kind of an unofficial poll of people and everybody that was coming in that was super sick either was unvaccinated or hadn't already had COVID. And I struggled a little bit with that one because I started to feel empathy fatigue for some of this. And that, I mean, I will say that's on me for sure, but I've been dealing with it for so long and was so I kind of just burned out at that point that I was really getting frustrated that people would come in really sick and terrified that they didn't know what to do and wanted us to just fix them and make them better. And I get that, but then also would be like, you know, we've had these opportunities and you've chosen not to do that for whatever reason. Um, but then there were also times, like I remember one woman coming in 
and this was one that kind of put me in my place. Because, again, I was just kind of to that point, I was like, we'll do what we can do for you. There were some newer treatments, monoclonal antibodies and some stuff like that that seemed to be working. And so I was like, we'll do what we can do. But, again, my empathy level was just at the bottom. And then I remember I had one lady who came in and hadn't been vaccinated, and she was sick and needing to be admitted to the hospital. And I remember asking her, and she said, well, I haven't been vaccinated because I'm currently being treated for cancer, and I'm on chemotherapy, and my doctor said I can't get vaccinated. And that kind of kicked me in the stomach a little bit. I was like, you big dummy. Like, not everybody. There's reasons that, other reasons that people haven't been vaccinated, or there's other, like, you need to still care about these people and care for people. So, um, but yeah, so we made it through Omicron. Around that time, we also had protests at the hospital, which I had never anticipated or experienced. We started out at the beginning of all this as like healthcare heroes and people were bringing us lunch and bringing us food and all this stuff. And then, I mean, we had made a complete 180 to where we had a patient in the ICU who had been put on the ventilator because he was so sick and there were people outside protesting saying that the physicians and the hospital were putting people on ventilators to kill them so that the hospital could make money from the government or whomever with all of this. And I just remember thinking like how absurd that was, but also like, for some people, if that's all they see on social media and if that's all they're exposed to, I could see how you pretty quickly fall into that mindset and that trap. And again, society had kind of become this point of like, it's hard to refute anything or provide any real evidence because then you can do a Google search and find stuff to support whatever you're looking for at that point. Um, and so it was really hard to convince anybody otherwise once their mind was made up that what they were thinking maybe wasn't correct. And I promise for anybody out there, we weren't trying to kill people. <laughs> we weren't trying to make money off of people. Um, but, yeah, I remember thinking, and there were a few days that there were probably eight or ten people outside protesting where you'd drive into the hospital and people out there with on a, like a picket line with signs, basically. Um, so then that kind of seemed to, again, Delta started to ease off, and then right as soon as Delta seemed to be kind of waning, then we kind of went with Omicron, like right on its heels. And I remember thinking again, like, oh boy, here we go again. And fortunately, Omicron kind of seemed to be Again, it may be too soon to say this, but it seemed to almost be kind of what we needed. It was a variant that was super contagious, but didn't seem to make people nearly as sick. And so we still, the numbers went way back up again. A lot of people coming in to get checked or tested, but that was kind of all it was. It was a lot of really young people who had decided to return back to normal life, um, but they they weren't that sick. They had a sore throat and they had a fever and they had kind of flu-like symptoms, but they were kind of more coming in just wanting to get tested and wanting to just make sure that that's what they had. Um, but, and so that did feel a little bit overwhelming again, 
but that really, I feel like, seems to have been kind of what it has taken to really get, start to feel like this is getting under control. And again, we may get word tomorrow of a new variant that is much more deadly or that sort of thing. Um, but I feel like we're finally at this point where it's going from a pandemic to something that's endemic. And what I mean by that is, like, there are certain things, the cold and the flu and things like that, that are just endemic. They live with us in community and in society, and there's going to be peaks and seasons like we have flu season or like we, you know, anything else. And I think there's going to be COVID seasons, but hopefully we're kind of starting to get to a more of like a steady state between enough people have had it, enough people have been vaccinated, that the people that are actually getting it generally are not quite as sick. Um, and that's not to say that there's still some people that still really get sick and still end up need to be admitted to the hospital or dying from it. But there's also a certain number of people that die from the flu every year. Um, I think the news, the media has had, it's been interesting because at the beginning of this, everybody was obviously really scared. Um, but the media, I feel like, has really tried to latch on to that fear and continue, like even with Omicron, saying, well, numbers are going back up again and, and all that. And I remember thinking, like, we're to the point that I'm not as concerned about overall numbers as I am number of really sick people, number of people that need to be admitted to the hospital, number of people that are dying. We don't report on the number of flu patients every year or the number of patients that get a cold every year. Um, but again, Omicron or COVID had been so just in, in the spotlight for so long that it was almost like they couldn't let go of that and they wanted to, to keep going. Um, I do think this is, I mean, I think this is probably something we're going to be dealing with for quite some time. And again, I may be eating my words in a week. There may be some new variant that comes out that is really bad again, but I would like to think that that's, that's not the case. Um, so that's kind of been, I guess, my experience with all of this. Looking back, I think the hardest parts for me were at the very beginning and the uncertainty and that anxiety, and then kind of dealing with the Delta variant. Um, the, the first part was harder for me, again, just the unknown, the Delta side of it, I had a harder time, again, just from really doing some internal reflection about my own empathy and care for people. Um, so those two kind of things, I mean, there's been highs and lows all throughout. Um, it's been very helpful to have a family that I can talk to. I've got one of my other best friends is also an emergency physician at a different hospital. And so we've shared notes and commiserated at times and that sort of thing. Um, but it's been, it's definitely been interesting, um, but it's been a little bit enlightening I feel like on myself and then also just society in general, how this has been you know, accepted and responded and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we are still dealing, again, I'm talking like this is in past tense. I realize that may not be the case. But there's also been really unexpected outcomes from it. We've had a lot of people that have left healthcare, nursing in general. Um, there's been a lot of nurses who have left because they were just been fed up with 
kind of being overworked and um, their own personal stuff being pushed to the side. And so a lot of people are leaving to do travel positions or just getting out of hospital medicine in general. And so that has kind of now caused other issues where we've had times, <clears throat> we've had times where our emergency department, so Summit, we have a 32-bed emergency department. There have been days that I've gotten there that maybe eight or ten of those beds have been open. Everything else is closed because we don't have the nursing staff to take care of the patients. Or then there's other days that we have enough staff, but there's not enough beds upstairs, and all of our beds are people that are admitted and just being held in the, in the emergency department that can't go upstairs. So then that obviously has a ripple effect on people that are coming in for heart attacks and strokes and other issues um, because they're not being seen as quickly either. So, you know, end of, or beginning of 2020, had somebody told me that that was going to be effective, an effect of this, I would have never seen that coming. Um, so it has been interesting to see, again, the ripple effect of some of that and what may continue to happen. I mean, we're still not out of the woods with all of that. I feel like we are starting to maybe turn a little bit of a corner, but there's a lot of days I still show up to work and there's not nearly as many nurses we should have or, or that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's my, my story, my experience. Um, it's been interesting. It's been hard at times. It's been enlightening at times. But then there's also been times that, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, there's been times that I've really enjoyed some stuff. Our kids were out of school from spring break through the end of that year and then all through that summer. And I remember fall of last year when they went back to school almost being kind of sad. Like I was like, we got to really spend a lot of good time together and have some, you know, a lot of fun. We got a dog that summer that I don't think we would have gotten had we not all been at home. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there are definitely some, some sides of it that have been even enjoyable of it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where, where I am with all of that. So I appreciate you guys letting me talk to you. If there are any questions, I'm happy to answer or try to answer, but. I always have a question. <laughs> Uh, I feel like um, I have family who are in the medical field, mm -hmm. and I feel like uh, the doctors in the emergency room, it seems to me, had the most difficult job at that time, and because, well, that's one thing you said, there's nursing shortage, but you're seeing, you don't even have any idea what's coming in. Right. When they get up on the floor where they have an idea of yeah. What level it is, and uh, do you think uh, that um, the emergency room functioned as you would have it function for any kind of uh, pandemic? Yeah, I think for the most part so. I think part of working in an emergency department, we pride ourselves in being able to think on our feet. You know, a lot of a lot of doing the emergency working in the emergency department is you never know what's coming in the door, um, and I laugh. I've seen some, I've seen some crazy stuff, and a lot of it is not taught in textbooks. It's amazing the ways that people can be dumb sometimes. <laughs> we, we laugh about that, and and so a lot of it is yeah, kind of just trying to think on your feet and and pivot with whatever. So I think 
I think so. I think, you know, I, I think about my colleagues that were cardiologists or, you know, and I can't speak to their experience, but there were times that I remember thinking they still got to go to clinic and have some, you know, they would cancel some appointments, especially in the beginning. They canceled appointments and canceled procedures, but for the most part, the patients they were seeing, they knew what they were coming in for, like you said. Um, and so that was, uh, there was almost a little bit of envy sometimes at some of the other fields of medicine that, that I felt like they got to continue on with life as normal to much more of an extent than, than we did. And you were but, functioning as a doctor and a nurse. Kinda, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were doing triage and all that. Yeah, exactly. I wonder yeah. if you, on the lighter side, did you ever get to do the ski and trip? <laughs> so we did this past year. <laughs> We've, yeah, we did go back this past spring break and took the girls skiing and got to experience it. So. I, I just want to say, David, you might feel the same way. I have met for hours with Brandon on protocols we tried to have for the school. And um, what I want you to know most of all is he is an incredible man of faith. I have known him since he was, whenever they came to art group two years old. <laughs> um, he is an incredible man of faith. And however you feel about the pandemic, I think we all know this, we can be very ugly. We as Christians can be very ugly. You feel one way and you're not coming, you're gonna pull your kid out of school or you feel the opposite way and you're gonna pull your kid out of school or you're not gonna to come to church or you are gonna to come to church based on what we did. I never saw this man lose his cool. I saw him listen for hours to parents of preschoolers who knew more than he did. And he never lost his cool and he came up with a protocol and he would always pray. So I want, us to give him a big thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, uh, I want to publicly thank him as well. We had we added him to our reboot committee. The chance of a lifetime to join the reboot committee. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it was always late at night, and I'm sure after he got home from work. But he was always very reasonable and willing to discuss. And we had plenty of different opinions. Yes. But he was he's kind of in a really tough spot because kind of the last line of you know when he says it's okay and everybody gets sick it would have been his fault <laughs> anyway, thanks. that's why i was never an official committee member <laughs> i could just advise thank you so what would be reflect, what do you think the biggest change COVID has had on our culture, or maybe even medically, maybe you're not prepared to answer. You know, all, most churches are having to rebuild, reset, you know, start over, businesses are. Mm -hmm. So from where you are, what's been the biggest reset condition for COVID, either medically or otherwise? Um, you know. I think, as, it's tough to say. I think some of it is, I think, trying to see I think for some people it's what level of comfort they're comfortable living with or what level of risk they're willing to live with. And that's something we still see is I may be on one end because, again, what I see in, at work every day skews my view a little bit. Um, and so my family, we may have worn masks longer than a lot of people did. Um, and then there are other people that were on the, the other side of that. but. 
trying to trying to make space for that for everybody and not necessarily come out immediately being judgmental because they do, do or don't have a mask on or they do or don't feel this way. Um, I think for some people this has really shown or brought out kind of some underlying fears and anxieties. I know some people that still are not willing to barely leave their house. And I mean, I personally feel like we're at a point where we can start doing it. I wouldn't be here, obviously. I'd be over Zoom talking to you on the TV. But um, yeah, I mean, I think for some people, it's this has been just a crippling thing. And so trying to accommodate for them, and I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, yeah, it's definitely a bigger thing than just a medical thing at this point. I think it'll be interesting to see, again, as a father of two young girls, it'll be interesting to see in 10 years if that, what the emotional effects of this are, you know, and for a lot of kids being out of school, and for some people, school is their safe place, too, you know, and I, I don't take that for granted that there are a lot of really messed up homes that kids have had to be in for a few years, so I think there's potentially a lot of effects from some of this that we may not know for a while. Yeah. Having to think on your feet, what, what were some of the things you were doing in the ER to start treatment and how did that change over the last couple of years? Um, so I remember thinking, I remember the big thing for me was initially steroids, which we use steroids to treat a lot of stuff, but steroids ultimately treat inflammation. And I remember, you know, if somebody comes in with other kind of viral respiratory things or COPD or something like that, if they're sick, a lot of times I'll give them a dose of steroids because that kind of just seems to help calm all of that down. And I remember thinking early on, why aren't we using steroids to treat this? And I remember being in a patient's room one day and like, it was just on CNN. It wasn't like a truly a medical thing, but it was on CNN and it said something about like, doctors are saying steroids don't work with this. And I remember like, again, this was super early in all of this, but I remember thinking like, that just doesn't, rationally doesn't make sense. But we went through a, a few weeks of avoiding giving steroids in patients with this. And I remember like finally reaching a point where people were saying, maybe it does. And like as soon as they said that, I was like, that's what I'm doing. Because again, rationally, it seemed to make sense that that would be something. Um, we had a lot of early on trying to figure out the best way to take care of patients and protect ourselves. And so we were building all these makeshift barriers and all this stuff too, which was, I'm sure, extremely isolating to the patients, but there was a level of, you know, selfishness and self-concern that, again, I didn't want to get something and take it home to my family or get myself something. So I think that was some of it too. There were a lot of those things that got built and used that, or kind of created and really never used because within by the time we got them kind of manufactured and made we were already learning eh, it may not be that big deal or may not need that or, or whatever so yeah I always wondered about extenuating circumstances with patients and the use of the ventilator and the use of what ventilator ventilator I wasn't never clear on that. so <clears throat> I mean the ventilator was literally used for people that could not breathe on their own. 
ultimately. A lot of these people would come in, their oxygen level was really, really low. I mean, they were just, it was like they were trying to breathe halfway underwater and because their lungs were so full of infection that they just could not perfuse oxygen. And once you're on a ventilator, ventilator, it, it was a last resort because when you're that sick, whether it's COVID or something else, when you're that sick, asthma or again COPD or anything, once you go on a ventilator, there's a decent chance you're not coming off. Um, and so it is kind of an extenuating circumstance, kind of a last resort thing. Um, but once you're on that ventilator, we can adjust pressures, you know, air pressure and oxygen level and stuff that's, you know, much more than what you're breathing just sitting here. And so I could physically basically force more oxygen into your lungs so that the parts of the lungs that were still functioning got more oxygen to them and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was something we would try to avoid, but there were other times that it was inevitable that if somebody came in and their oxygen levels are low and they're working, that's kind of the only option. There's no medicine that's gonna turn you around from that that quickly. And so the ventilator was kind of a bridge to try and let some of those medicines really start to take effect. Um, but yeah, it just, people, by the time they needed that, they were really sick, so yeah. Brendan, thank Somebody you else? so yeah. much. When Absolutely. I asked Brandon when he considered doing this, he said, I'm not a public speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> he did a great well, thank job. You. Thank I you so it. much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Next week, our speaker is Rebecca Alton. No. All right. She said, can I just tell the fun parts of my story? I said, you can tell us anything you want to. So it's your story. I so. no to her. But, you know, I'm going to pass the hat, so bring lots of money. <laughs> All righty. Y'all have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Oh, well.